You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, before there was Bill Gates, there was a guy called Andrew Carnegie. And he is regarded as about the second most richest person in history, adjusted for today's inflation rates. And uh, this guy, Carnegie, at uh, age of, uh, the age of 33, wrote himself a little bit of a personal goal. Wrote down in a bit of paper, somehow it's been preserved throughout history, that he said, here is his goal, 33 and an income of $50,000 per annum. By this time, two years... So I can arrange all my businesses to secure at least 50000 per annum. Beyond this, never earn. Make no effort to increase fortune, but spend the surplus each year for benevolent purposes. Cast aside business forever, except for others. Wow, it sounds quite noble, doesn't it? A couple of years, 50000 that'll do me. If you know his story, you can look him up in Wikipedia. Um, you know... Carnegie did hold true to his promise to give. You know, in, in, in fact, um, he, he, he gave uh, a, a ridiculous sum of money. I think it'd be the equivalent of about of, you know, $43 billion in today's terms. It sounds a bit like David from last week in giving of the, of the temple. But uh, he, he held true to his note, but instead of it being around age 35, it was at age 79, just five years before his death. Why? Why, 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 why not earlier? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it was like, once you get to one billion, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't you just sort of stop there? Like, couldn't, couldn't you then go on doing the generous work? Look, guys, after such good intentions, why was it so difficult? Last week we learned this is the reason that money has a power over us. Money has power over us. And without God breaking into your life, you're blinded like Carnegie was to its, its, its effects on us. And so as Christians, what we learned last week when we were talking about this issue of money is that we have a, a renewed, a redeemed perspective on the provision and the purpose and the power of money in our lives. You see, God and the gospel changes the way that we view and relate to our money. And it's, a bit, it's a bit like this. It's a bit like a, a doctor with the... With a patient, you go to the doctor, you're feeling a bit sick a bit generally, and you say, Doc, I'm not, I'm not feeling too well. And what's the doctor going to say to you? Well, well, well tell, tell me about your lifestyle. Tell, tell me about your sleeping habits. Uh, tell, tell me what you've been eating. Tell me about what your family situation is like. You're saying, don't, don't ask me that. That's none of your business. Just tell me what's physically wrong with me. A doctor will say, well, doctor's going to say, well, it's, it's not just about the physicalities. This could be some psychological stuff. It could be, you could be living in a house full of asbestos. I don't know what's going on, but, you know, t- t- tell me all of it. You say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. And the doctor says, well, I'm sorry, but I can't heal you. We can't do business then. Guys, why is it in a Christian life? And we, we want healing. Everyone wants healing in our Christian life. Why is it when it comes to the topic of money? We'll give God everything else. But when he asks, he asks in that, that corner of our life, it says, you know, show me what you're doing with your money. You're saying, don't ask me that question. It's not in your business. And there comes a point in time when God says, hey, if that's the way it's going to be. We can't do business together. At least not as far as growth is concerned, this side of heaven. You see, guys, we need to give in order to be free for God. Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. That is, you can't come to your doc and say, I'm not going to tell you everything. This is my business. You see, guys, without giving, there will be no spiritual growth. Why? Because how we use our money is the best indicator of whether really we, we get the presence of God in our life. What I'm trying to say here is that the key to our growth individually 
the key to our growth corporately as a church is going to be whether or not we desire to live lives of radical generosity. When we ask the question, how much, how much should Christians give? What we see in Jesus tonight in his interpretation and this application of a fundamental Christian law from the Old Testament is that he assumes that his followers are going to be radically generous. And so, of course, it begs the question, how do I know I'm being generous? Well, let's have a look at what God's word says about that tonight. First, we're going to read from the Old Testament way back. Look at that. I've only got like two or three tabs. The beginning. This is right at the beginning of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 26. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhone devices, and if you're starting to get ready for the rugby score, just flick across to the Bible app. <laughs> when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest, that's the minister, in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord, uh, the, the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. And then you shall say, declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord, your God, and bow down before him. See, the principle that we give because God was the one that gives in the first place. And so we turn right back to the other end of the Bible now, into the New Testament. Only a couple of tabs left at the end up here as well. Jesus, having dinner with some religious leaders, says this in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through to 42. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Not sure if you heard, Apple released the new iPhone 4S this week. And part of that incredible update was uh, a wonderful new personal assistant, artificial intelligence, a very kind lady that's built into the phone called Siri. And you can ask Siri these all, all sorts of questions. You can ask Siri what the weather is like. She'll tell you what the weather is like. You can ask Siri to give you a reminder. And so I just, I found one of these phones and so I asked Siri, how much should Christians give? And she said, ask Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. (laughs) You see, Jesus is saying to us tonight through Luke chapter 11 that there is actually a standard for how much we are to give as Christians. 
and it's called the tithe. You see, Jesus is actually saying there's a standard to see if you're living in generous proportions. He wants us to be generous. How much? How can we know? Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Now, this is great. You see what Jesus is doing here? I love this. See, the Pharisees were tithers. That is, they followed the Old Testament law that we read from in Deuteronomy and a law that prescribed that a follower of God was to give one-tenth of their annual income into the priest, into the temple. And the whole idea was to give it to the priest so they could support the temple worship, that is, just doing church, and so they could support the poor. And since God was the owner of all things and we're just the stewards of his wealth, you know, it was not a bad deal by, by those standards. God's perspective on it was, I've given you all this incredible land, so it'd be like, uh, it'd be like being a farmer that gets to, to lease land for, for 10% of the value that you're going to earn off it. It's not a bad deal given the price of rents in Sydney at the moment. Now, guys, here's, here's what's intriguing. Here's what's fascinating here is that this was an Old Testament guideline and how does Jesus react to it? How does Jesus regard it? You know, because for years, I don't know about you, but for years people are always, you know, debating, well, well you know, I'm, I'm a New Testament believer. How do I relate to the Old Testament and all those fuddy-duddy laws? And there are some interesting laws. I looked them up. Um, the laws in the Old Testament, like you're not allowed to mix your fibres. You can't mix wool and linen together. That's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. I'm thinking a wool and a linen garment anyway would look horrible, so... <laughs> And then there was one about um, you should grow a beard, which is, t- thank the Lord that Jesus has fulfilled the law because it takes me about six months to grow any facial hair. <laughs> Here's an interesting one, that ladies, if you see your husband in a fight with another bloke, no grabbing them by the private parts. That dead set, that is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 11 to 12. We, we, there are some interesting Old Testament laws here. And then, and then we read that against stuff like love your neighbour as yourself in the Sermon on the Mount. And we go, look, yeah, I can, I, I can throw away the grabbing bit, but, um, but loving the neighbour as yourself, you know, I should obey that. And uh, look, haven't you guys been there where you go, look, which one is it? Which one do I? Don't know. I do, which, which one do I? Don't know. I obey. You know, I, I, I understand where you're coming from now. Here's, here's the funny thing. It's one thing to worry about some of these interesting laws of the Old Testament. But when Jesus himself pulls something that's specific from the Old Testament and speaks about it, then we should listen. And if ever there was a place that Jesus... Look, Jesus was always doing away with the regulations, right? That's, that's the generalisation we have with that. Jesus was always doing away with the regulations, it appears. Like if there was ever a place where Jesus would loosen the tithe, just do away with it, the 10%, it'd be here, Right? Because he's talking to the Pharisees, he's having dinner with them. And as if, I, I don't know if it's just you, but is the Pharisees, is Jesus always yelling at the Pharisees in the Bible? He seems to be the only people that Jesus yells out. Woe, woe to you. He's not saying woe to you to the pimps and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, but he yells at the Pharisees. And, 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 and so why? Because they've, they've turned this law of God into a bunch of regulations that they feel if they could just, you know, wrap it all up, they could be saved like that. And he's saying that is spiritual death. You vipers, you brood of vipers, woe to you, yelling at him. Now, here's a funny thing. Does he say, you legalists, that whole idea of the tithe, that is fuddy-duddy stuff. That's old school. Get rid of it. No. No, he goes the other direction. He says, no, it's not enough. Verse 42, he says, you're giving the tenth of all your stuff here, including the peppermint and the herb garden. 
That's what I mean. He's saying they are so fastidious that they're going out to the herb garden. They're even giving bits of the herb garden off to the temple. You know, get a bit of peppermint and one in every ten leaves. They were taken off to the temple. Uh, he, he, he's, he's saying, no, 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 the, the tithe is good, but you're, you're neglecting the love of God. You, you, you've got to do more. The tithe's not enough. This is remarkable stuff. Guys, what it means simply is we need to take the tithe seriously. I don't know about you. I've been one of those Christians growing up in the church. I thought it's a fuddy-duddy law. Yeah, if I get somewhere near there. No, 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 no. If, if ever we hear Jesus talking about Old Testament law, we need to take it seriously. So how do I know if I'm living generously? The question is, Jesus says to us tonight, test yourself. Are you, are you, can you give your money away in biblical proportions? How about starting at 10%, he says. Ouch. <laughs> See, Jesus sees the tithe as a very concrete, realistic way by which we can tell if we're investing for God in biblical proportions. Christians aim for the standards of generosity. But see, Christians also experience sacrifice in generosity. See, because Jesus not only affirms the Pharisees in, in this verse, he's actually affirming them. He's saying, good, good guys, you, you, you're tithing, that's good. But he reprimands them. Verse 42 again, he says, you should have practised the latter without leaving the former undone. He criticises them because they're only giving as much as the tithe and they're not going beyond it. Can you see how radical Jesus is with this stuff? Jesus is pronouncing a woe on the Pharisees because you know, they're giving their peppermint and all the leaves away. They're doing the tithing stuff, but they're not going beyond the tithe. And that is that the Pharisees seem to think that once they had fulfilled the tithe, then they could just walk away from doing Christian community. They didn't have to give in anymore. And as one commentator puts it, the demand of the Christian tithe can become a dangerous thing for it permits the false conclusion that the problem of money has been met and conquered. I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's how I can view the whole money thing and the whole giving to God. But if, if God, just tell me how much I've got to give over here. And that's your bit. It's just my bit. <laughs> Come on, that's how, that's how we think. You have control of this bit. And, but you can't serve both God and money. So this means that Look, what it means is that while the, 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 church, the church can't demand, the church doesn't demand. Where's the church don't demand how much you're going to give into the church or into other ministries for that matter? So the church is not about demanding a particular amount of money, but Jesus assumes that his followers will go beyond just giving 10%. And he's saying, well, what if I can't do 10%? What if that would kill me? Now, God had already thought of this, thankfully, because when you go back and look at the Old Testament laws, you see that that it had set up that there were these regular animal sacrifices to God. The offering was an animal sacrifice because you didn't have your investment in, in various um, derivatives, Jerusalem-based der- derivatives or um, fixed interest accounts or ING accounts. You didn't go down to your local ING store and put in a fixed-term deposit. You had animals. And so when you took an animal to the temple to sacrifice it, you were sacrificing your wealth. And so in that sense, what we saw in the Old Testament laws is that the reason they were doing this is to, to, to constantly be, be loosening, to, to un, unwinding, you know, when you sort of got to get a, a lid of a jar and, 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 and really just make sure it comes off nice and easy. If you leave the lid on the jar too long, it, it sticks. It, the reason they were giving offerings to God was to, to constantly unstick the heart from its, its ownership over one's wealth. And, but here's what I love about God. Here's the thing. When, when the law called for the animal sacrifices, it didn't require a flat rate offering. There was a sliding scale. And so the poorest of the poor, they would only have to offer up a, a pigeon. And those who are a lot 
what richer would 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 offer up an ox and so the offering was based on people's capacity to give and so a wealthy person could give a gift of 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 20% of their income and the reality is that they're not they're not giving anything at all that dips into their living standards whereas the the person who's only giving 5% of their income that 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 could mean that there's not food on the table that now so we've got to be clear here Jesus says the tithe is very important but at the same time, too, we see from the Old Testament laws that there was a sliding scale. And what we see that God is not so much interested in, in a percentage of giving as he is in a level of sacrifice. Jonathan Edwards, he, he, he considers this phrase, bear each other's burdens in Galatians 6, you know, that, that one there. And he answers the objection where people say, well, I can't afford to give. He says, uh, look, if, ever, if we are never obliged to relieve each other's burdens. But then we find that we can do it without burdening ourselves. How do we bear our neighbour's burdens when we bear no burden at all? What it says to us is some of us are called with, we're blessed with, that's what we talked about last week, an extra capacity to give. Others, it could mean an incredible impact if they were giving any more than 2% of what they currently have for this season. Look, I, the, the, I call it the spin class principle, right? If ever you guys have ever been to Fitness First, uh, I, I used to go and do the spin classes. I'm a sucker for lycra. There's nothing about that in the Old Testament law either too, about mixing various fibres and that sort of stuff. Lycra is purely a New Testament um, believer's garment. And, um, and, 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 and in spin, spin classes in Fitness First, they're hilarious things because you see people in there and they're just sitting up on the, on, 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 the, on, on the bike and they're just spinning away. They've got the iPod in and they're just having a great time. And you see the person next to them, they are sweating profusely. They look like they're about to go green. They look like they're about to vomit. It's the same music. It's, it's the same tempo. They're just loving it. <laughs> And, and, and I used to be one of those sorts of people until I met this instructor and she always used to shout out, out at me, earn the burn, earn the burn. And, and the burn was there, she'd be yelling at me and she was telling me to, 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 to she's, turn it up another quarter notch. It was this resistance meter that sort of, that did the resistance on the bike. You'd turn it up and suddenly the legs would slow down and this is starting to hurt. It's the spin class principle. God is saying when we're giving, you've got to earn the burn. You know, sometimes, it, it, look, we can treat church like a fitness first spin class, guys. We can come in and we can sing the songs. We can be spinning at the same pace. And whilst it's not written all over our faces, there are, there are some people that, that are given on the verge of vomiting. Yes, there's 10%, but there's got to be sacrifice. You've got to earn the burn. Finally, we see, guys, that um, Christians... They exhibit the signs of generosity. You know, I was talking to one of my leaders this week. We've just, yeah, it's just been amazing what God is doing in our groups this week around this issue of money. We only talk about it once a year. But I'm talking to her, you know, she said an amazing phrase that, I'll be honest with you, I've been thinking the same thing. And she said, you know what, Sam? I've been wondering, do I even want to change? Do I, do I even want to look into this area? Do, do I even want to address this, this properly, properly because I'm scared? I'm not sure if I want to give up my stuff. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if, if this could mean that I'm lowering my living standards. Jesus is asking a lot here. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, My response to that was, as, as, as God was just showing me through my quiet time, it was like he was saying to me, because I had the same question. He's saying, God was saying to me, Sam, if, 
If I could turn you into the sort of person that was giving away 50% of their income and jumping for joy, would you be interested? And I think he asked that question of each and every one of us tonight. Would you be interested? And some of us are saying, yeah, bring it on. I want a piece of that. And other people are saying, no, that, that is impossible. 50%, forget it. There's no way people can live like that. And yet, in the Bible, God has, he's sort of like a master chef. Here's one I've prepared earlier. And in Luke 19, if you go a few chapters up, you see uh, a guy that I can really relate to, Zacchaeus. He was vertically challenged. That's about as much as where our commonalities um, lie. He was a short little guy. And, and if there was ever a guy that understood money, it was him. He was a tax collector. He made his living off hoarding and swindling people out of money. That's why as a Jew, every, every, all the other Jews hated him because he, t- he turned against his country and was collecting money for the Romans and he would take a little bit on the side and so he was also incredibly rich. And he'd done it by swindling people out of money. And so this um, short little guy... Here's that Jesus is coming through Jericho and he climbs up a tree. Because that's the only way he was going to see him. Couldn't see over the rest of the other people. He was a short guy. And you see the story of Zacchaeus shows us, it shows us what Jesus can do and how he changes your attitudes towards money when he gets a hold of you. You see, when you, if you know his story, look at his actions. Jesus calls him down out of the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, get down out of the tree. I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. The rest of the crowd's muttering, going, this guy's eating with sinners with a tax collector. He says, get down out of the tree. I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. And what was his response? <laughs> Zacchaeus is jumping for joy. He says, I'm, I'm going to give away 50% of my money. 50%. Not only that, he offers, he offers a bit of payback. He says, I'm going to, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to, pay, I'm going to pay back. I'm going to, I'm going to pay back everyone that I've done wrong and I've defrauded. I'm going to pay him back. And you know what, I'm going to pay him back four times. What is really interesting is when you go through and you, you, you go, but there was actually laws about how much you had to pay people back if you did them wrong and swindled them out of money. In the book of Numbers and Leviticus, and it was actually 120%. So the rules said 20%. And Zacchaeus says, I'll pay back 400%. See this? In other words, his, his response to Jesus went way beyond his generosity. Well, so way beyond the rules and the regulations, way beyond the requirements. And not, it wasn't just a change in his actions, it was a change in his attitude. Like, first of all, it's, there's a spontaneity about it. He just starts talking about his money. Jesus didn't even ask him about his money. He just starts talking about it. But it's joyful. I love the way that he talks to Jesus about it all. He says, look, Lord, look, look. What is, it? Is, is he trying to show off or something? Is he trying to flash a bit of the cash around? No, when, when you look into it, it, it it's, 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 it's surprisingly and heartwarmingly like the way a little kid, when they've done a little finger painting, goes and holds it up and says, look, mummy, look, look, daddy, look what I did for you. I did it because I wanted to please you. There was, there was a joy and there was a gratitude when Jesus had got a hold of him and it changed his attitude towards money. And what is interesting is that he offers to give away this 50% of all these possessions. And what, what is weird is it shows you that his motivations were totally positive. He wanted to do that. Because what's, what's weird here is he's, he's not guilty about being rich because when you're a rich person and you give away 50% of your possessions, you're still pretty well off in those, old, those sort of first century Jerusalem days. He was still pretty well off. He's probably still rich. But he was positive about his emotions. He wasn't guilty about it. He wasn't begrudging in his giving. He didn't feel obliged to do his giving. Why? It's because people who get gratitude.
grace. Move beyond the regulations with joy. That's the signs of generosity. Now, some of you here might be saying, look, Sam, here's what I don't get. Come on. Last week you're talking about the rich young ruler and Jesus told him to give away 100% of his wealth. And now Jesus, a couple of chapters on, he's, he's telling Zacchaeus 50%. That's half as much and he's okay with that. <laughs> and then he told us at the beginning of the message that the Bible's telling us 10%. Which is it? 10%, 50%, 100%. Which, which is it? I'm so confused. <laughs> Here's the point. You're looking for rules. And yet Jesus is inviting you into adventure. And you're looking for percentages when Jesus is looking for you to join him on a pilgrimage. You know, what we see in the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus and the reason for all the different proportions is, is this, is that, that you and I have the, the tendency to say, it's how we approach this topic, we have the tendency to say, how much have I got to give? Just tell, t- t- draw the line, Jesus, tell me how much. When you get the freedom from money by the experience of grace, the way that Zacchaeus did, you'll begin to say, oh, look, I can't wait. I can't wait to find someone or some way to bless someone. I can't f- wait to find a way to bless my community. I can't wait to invest my money for the sake of the kingdom. And you'll end up saying, I'm, I'm going to try this as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to follow Jesus. But you know what? Who knows what Jesus is going to do? <laughs> and he could call me to, 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 to lower my living standards. He, he, he could call me to be rich. He could bless me with being rich. I don't know what I... What he's going to do, it could be 50%, it could be 20%, but he's saying, I'm calling you into adventure and you're sitting around asking me how much? Guys, if you're saying, look, oh, I don't know, I don't have that sort of freedom, I know what that feels like. I'm thinking I want that sort of freedom to be able to say that. Look, if you're saying, if you're saying it's ridiculous to, to be talking about 10%, 10%, let alone 20%, let alone 30%, if you're saying that is totally ridiculous then you haven't got the gospel. We're thinking like a religious person. We're thinking, what great thing have I got to do in order for God to bless me, <laughs> to make it across the line so that God will bless me? The other way around, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, I'm starting to feel guilty about this whole process, then you haven't got the gospel either. We guys, we've been learning this year, this year that, that, that the job of the Christian is to always take the gospel and apply it to our heart at, at deeper and deeper and deeper levels. I forget. I forget what the gospel's going to mean for me. Guys, do what Zacchaeus did. Get up in a tree. Not literally. I mean, spiritually. Do whatever you can to catch a, gl- a closer look at Jesus Christ. And when you get up there, he got up, Zacchaeus got up there for a glimpse and instead he got an eyeful of grace. You know, look at Jesus and what are you going to see? On the, on the cross you're going to see a God who didn't empty his pockets of his money, but he emptied his pockets of his own son. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he wants to communicate to you that, that, that of all the treasures in the world, you're his treasure. And when you get that, then you can know that you are his treasure. Guys, friend, do you need to see Jesus a bit closer tonight? He calls you not into regulations, he calls you into an adventure. He's the one that's going to work it out, how he's going to explode your heart into radical generosity. There's the generosity equation. <laughs> like if, if there's a formula for it, when considering, the genero- when considering generosity, Christians, <laughs> Christians don't reach for a calculator, they reach for the cross. They look at what God has given them in the person of Jesus Christ in his own son and they respond to that. You know why? Because willpower is not going to do it. Willpower alone is not going to do it. You've got to get up in a tree. You've got to see Jesus. Christians give not in response to regulation 
but to grace, with a spontaneous joy. And if it's not a spontaneous joy, it's a bit like that Windows error that pops up. If you're not seeing joy in your giving, it's like that annoying little ding. System error. And it affords us an opportunity to head back to the scriptures, head back to the life of Jesus and say, what part of the gospel am I not getting? If you have been given freely, then you are freed to give everything freely. That is Christianity. And so the question is, how do I become that sort of person? Guys, let me finish with this. Simple words, community. You know what? It could take years to bring yourself into a situation in which you give in biblical proportions. I'm being real about it. It's the VO5 principle. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. Okay? (laughs) But here's the thing. It's a gradual process. And here's the other important one. You cannot trust yourself with this alone. I'm saying that to you now. Do not go with this issue of money. Go back to your bedroom, all in the quiet. You cannot trust yourself with this area of your life alone because you know what happens with the minute we start thinking about how much we're going to give or the way that we're going to increase our capacity, there's a little self-justification engine that goes off in our heart like a pool pump. It just sort of takes off and we start to feel a resistance. We don't want to give. I look at it this way. Yesterday I went for a ride with the very beginnings of the Northside Peloton, um, a bike ride that is, uh, Lycra and all. And, um, and we went up, we, we did the West Head ride and uh, you get all the gadgets out, you, you time how well you go. And I, I went the Saturday before, I, I did the, the first leg in 45 minutes. I went with the Northside Peloton and drafting and all sorts of aerodynamics aside, I cut six minutes off my time. Do you know what that represents? To almost 20%. I know, some of you getting your calculators going. That is absolutely, I know, it sort of looks like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but look, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the drafting. What it is is a demonstration of the power and the principle of community to encourage you and to hold you accountable. You see, every time I hit one of those hills at West Head, and it is a hilly bike ride, I can tell you that now. Every time I hit one of those hills, if you want to go ride, ride by yourself, the minute you hit any resistance, you just want to back off. You don't want to push too hard. But when you ride in community, you've got other people there to cheer you on. The other thing is you've got other people there to hold you accountable. Hadn't you slacken off? Hadn't pick the pace up a little bit more, will you? <laughs> Both encouragement and accountability. And guys, whether you are on a road bike or whether you're in Christian community, the teachings of Jesus are like a whopping great hill that's rising in the distance. And you look at the teachings that he has on giving tonight and you say, that is impossible, I'm not going to make it up that. And when we finally butt up against it, everything within us wants to back off. And then you've got a peloton around you in the spiritual sense saying, come on, you can do this. Come on, pick your game up. Guys, it's why we're going through a 20-day study on stewardship. It's why we're talking about it in connection groups. It's why I'm encouraging you to hold yourself accountable to one other person. It's why we encourage people in this place to be committed to a church in the first place. Often people don't want to join churches because they're going to call them to commit. But guys, like the legs of an elite athlete like myself, if you're riding a bike, or whether it's spirituality... Without accountability, there will be no growth. You cannot trust yourself alone with this stuff. You need community. Are you in community? 
Let me finish with this. There was a study by Ronsvale and Ronsvale in a book called The Mitre's Trap that demonstrated that if all of the American Christians would tithe, not only would Christian ministries continue to be supported, but theoretically there would be enough money if distributed to all the poor in the world to lift them all above the poverty line. The greatest problem in the church at large today is not that Christians don't give. It's that we don't give in biblical proportions. And so in that sense tonight, guys, I'm here to ask you tonight, are you living a life of radical generosity? Are you living a life that aims for the standards of generosity? Are you living a life that's experiencing sacrifice in generosity? Are you living a life that's exhibiting the signs of generosity? Because, guys, we can talk about all we want on Sunday, about mission and about gospel and about saving lives and about community. We can talk all, all about that sort of stuff, but until we enter into the discipline of giving our money away, Giving our money away in biblical proportions, there's not going to be any, any growth. This place is going to look like a fitness first spin class. Guys, we've got to earn the burn. And if you are serious about our growth, if we're serious about our growth individually and corporately as a church, then we have to constantly, not once a year, constantly be looking how the gospel shapes our view of and our relationship to our money. We need to examine how we spend our money. We need to examine why we don't give more than we do. We need to repent of the reasons why we spend so much on ourselves. And, 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 and then we need to rearrange how much we, we then go and spend and give. Why? Because if we, don't, if we don't push through the fear and the pain and the hesitations and the spiritual hills and the resentments and the examination of ourselves, if we don't push through that, we deny ourselves. We deny ourselves the greater joy. We deny ourselves the freedom. We deny ourselves the, op- the opportunity to heal this city in a way that no one else has ever seen. We deny ourselves that in a way that only radical generosity can bring. Let's pray. Father, we have been talking about these last couple of weeks, an issue that's sensitive for so much of us. Father, we pray for those that are in need tonight. Father, we pray for those in our uh, community that are in need tonight. Father, I thank you for the stories that I know behind the scenes in this place of Jesus' radical, radically generous community in action. I've seen the stories of the way that brothers and sisters who would otherwise be strangers in this world have come together and supported one another and, and, and rallied around each other and given to one another and encouraged one another. Father, we want to see more of that in this place. But Father, we come to a point tonight, we come before you, Lord Jesus, the ultimate doctor, the healer, with an area of our life that we cling on to, Father, like a newborn baby clings onto its mother. Lord God, will you help us to let this area of our life go? By the power of your spirit, you, will you awaken in us a vision for what is possible as a church in this city? Will you awaken in us, Heavenly Father, a vision uh, for a community that is slowly being redeemed and turned upside down because of people who are blessed, who understand the blessing that has come from you and to simply want to transform this world inside out, starting first with how we spend. So Lord, we recognise tonight that none of this growth and none of this change can happen without your power in our lives through your Holy Spirit. And so in that sense, Father, we repent as a church and as a community of the, 
of the times in which we've held on, of the times in which we've staked our own claim to the things that you've placed in our hand. But Father, we become greatly encouraged and uplifted and inspired in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who came and broke into this world, began to turn itself upside down, not just in terms of life over the top of death, but the way that he turned the dollar upside down so it could be used to heal and redeem a broken, a needy and an impoverished world. May we live like him and we pray this desperately in his name. Amen.